Uh, today, um, when, when we were doing the, when, when I was trying to figure out what the next series we were going to do was, I was thinking about uh, going through a different books of the Bible. Uh, Andrew was in the office, and we were, we were talking, and, you know, together he suggested Philippians, and we started looking through stuff. Well, long story short, uh, he got really excited about Philippians 2, 1 to 11 in particular. And he's uh, like, hey, well, maybe, maybe you want to share some words with us on Philippians 2. So today uh, we've actually got Andrew's going to come up and share some words with us uh, for our third week in, in Philippians. So, Check one, two. All right. Mark, is it on? I think it is. Well, good morning, folks. Good morning, church. For anyone in the room or online who may not know me, my name is Andrew Vogan. Just so you know, for the sake of not rambling too much, I'm using a manuscript today. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to look up and stuff, but here we go. I didn't write that. That was off script. So my wife and I, Erin, and our four boys have been members of Regen here for many years, and so we, we, we know many of you well those in the room and, and those who might be watching online, and we're thankful for each one of you. We're thankful for being part of this church. As some of you might already know, I work for a ministry called Young Life, and the mission statement of Young Life is introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. I've been employed by Young Life for 12 years, but I've been involved with the ministry for about 20 years total. I started going to Young Life meetings as a freshman in high school, and I was immediately drawn into it. It was such a fun place to be. It was vibrant. There was a lot of different types of kids there. And I just, I loved being there. And my Young Life leaders were some of the coolest people that I knew. Um, they welcomed me. They made me feel like I was wanted and like I belonged. But I didn't just see my leaders at Young Life meetings. I would see them in a lot of different places that they would show up in my life. I'd see them um, at my school band concerts. I'd see them at football games. I wasn't a football player. I was in the stands waiting to do the halftime show as a member of the marching band, but they still came and, uh, and cheered me on there. And then sometimes they'd bring a group of us students to a, a local restaurant. Here in Exeter, we have Las Olas. In Buffalo, where I'm from, there's a place that I thought was as good as Las Olas, but now that I've gone back, it's less and less amazing. Do you ever have a childhood place like that? Like when you were a kid, you're like, this is, I remember it being a lot better. So it was called Mighty Taco. So we spent a lot of time and money at Mighty Taco, and the Lord um, had a lot of grace on us and our, our, our health for all the Mighty Taco that, that I ate. But um, my leaders were these caring adults who showed me that following Jesus was not just about a weekly meeting that happens in a church building every Sunday. They helped me to see that Jesus calls us to follow him into all of the spaces that we live and go to. Of course, in church, being part of worship on a Sunday morning is a part of that, and an important part of that, but also at school and work, at home, and out in the community and beyond. So one of my most formative experiences when I was involved with Young Life came the summer after my junior year. So I got a chance to do this thing called Work Crew. Work Crew is 40 high school students volunteering for a month, okay, so for four weeks, and you get to do a specific job. I'd been to Young Life camp as a camper before. This was definitely not camp. This was, this was hard work, but I got to, to do this up at um, Saranac Village, which is one of our uh, amazing Young Life-owned properties up in the Adirondacks. It's a beautiful place. And I actually have, there's a couple of pictures um, I dug out from the archives. So this was back in August of 2004. I'm wearing the Ski Patrol uh, t-shirt there. Um, I couldn't grow much facial hair back then, so I didn't even try. Um, and then the next one, so this is, this is a picture of me wearing 
a Reliant K t-shirt. There's probably nobody in this room who knows who Reliant K is, or a Christian punk band. Thank you so much. There is one. And this is a picture from the, from the beach of Saranac. So just a, a beautiful place. I got to spend a month there. Um, so you were assigned a certain job, whether it was dishwasher, server, housekeeper, and stuff like that. It was really tiring, and it was really hard. But it was done in an incredible community with an amazing purpose propelling you forward. And it wasn't just about the hard work either. It was also about discipleship. Every morning we'd spend time with the Lord by reading scripture and journaling some responses to a devotional that we had all been given. And then we had times of singing and praying together. And there were times when we would take a break from our work to, to sit down and share how we'd seen Christ present in one another. It was a very life-changing and formational experience for me. And as Pastor Chris pointed out, um, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is the passage we get to look at today. And this was a key piece from the Bible that motivated and inspired us when we were on work crew. Um, and maybe you will see why in, uh, in just a moment. But before we, we get into reading Scripture today, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son and Holy Spirit, we know you are already here, but we invite you in. We welcome you here and we call out to you for help this morning. We are disoriented and confused by the suffering and chaos of our broken world. So we need you to shape our minds with the truth of your word. We are weary and frustrated by our constant temptations to worship idols, cheap counterfeits that could never love us the way you do. So we need you to transform our hearts today by the goodness of your gospel. Please speak to us today in this reading and reflection on Scripture, and let us be changed to live, move, and have our being more and more in you, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start by reading this passage from, from the NIV. The, the black Bibles that are floating around out there in the pews should be the same or similar if you'd like to follow along, or you can simply listen. So here's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So perhaps even in this initial reading you can connect the dots and see why this scripture might have been so helpful for work crew, but of course this wasn't written to a youth ministry like Young Life, and it doesn't just apply to a youth ministry like Young Life or like 516. I would imagine that Nick Locker has probably referenced this passage before, maybe on one of those service trips. Um, but this is Paul's encouragement to, to the church, 
specifically to the church in Philippi, but this is God's inspired word, so it's, it's for us as well here in the New Hampshire seacoast. This was Paul's encouragement to this multi-generational community of families who are striving to follow and worship Jesus together in the midst of a culture that was all about the worship of idols. It was over-sexualized. It was dominated by a corrupt and overbearing government and not at all friendly to the true cause of Christ. Maybe this sounds familiar. Maybe a little. So maybe the Lord has something to say to us today, even two millennia after the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. I'm going to read the passage again, but it's going to sound a little different. And this time I'm going to share with you one of my favorite devotional practices, which is paraphrasing scripture or putting it in your own words. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that we're actually rewriting the Bible here. Um, We're not making foundational theological changes to the text. It's simply a way of interacting with the words of scripture a little bit more purposely and really trying to dig in to understand what it's saying. So I took some time to paraphrase Philippians 2, 1 to 11. It's, it's not perfect, and it's certainly not a replacement for an official translation that was produced by a, a team of, of trained and prayerful scholars. But maybe it'll just put the message of these verses in a little bit easier of terms. And I want to encourage you, as I read it again, is there a word or a phrase that catches your attention? And ask yourself, how might God be speaking to you this morning? So this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11, Andrew's paraphrase. If you feel encouraged by being close to Jesus, if you find comfort from how he loves you, if you have the Holy Spirit as a companion beside you, and if all of this fills you with affection and compassion, then fulfill the joy I already feel about you by coming together in unity in all things, how you think, how you love, and how you live out your spiritual purpose. Don't let any of your actions be motivated by selfish ambition or arrogance, but let humility animate your attitude and think of others' needs above your own. I'm speaking to all of you. Don't get so wrapped up in all of your own goals and desires. Consider what other people need and care about too. Here's the perfect example. Look at Jesus, our Messiah, and follow his attitude. He was and is God in his very nature, and yet he did not cling to his infinite divine power. But instead, he laid his power aside and brought himself low to the point of becoming a servant and a fully human servant at that. And then going even further, in his form as a man, he humbled himself all the way to the point of death, even the most humiliating and horrific kind of death, a criminal's execution on a cross. And in light of all that Jesus the Son accomplished, God the Father brought him from that lowest point up to the very highest place and gave his name the greatest status and authority imaginable. So that before the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in reverence, those in the heavens, on the earth, and in the lowest depths. And every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus, our Messiah, is the one true King. All of this to display the glory of God the Father. There are so many riches packed into these 11 verses. We're not going to have time to dig into all of it this morning, but I think one of the best and most beautiful things about this passage is how clear it is. Paul's message is about humility and unity. And while we can certainly think of our own pictures of, of, these, of these values, humility and unity, let's look at how the Bible itself shows us this. So first, humility. So in Mark 10, 9 and 10, 
we find a scene where Jesus is telling his disciples about his, about his death to come, which they do not understand. They believe Jesus is the Messiah, but their picture of the Messiah is very different from who Jesus is and was. Their definition of greatness and glory is one of political conquest and domination. That's what they were expecting, but Messiah Jesus, as we know, had other plans. So the disciples began to argue as they traveled. So in Mark 9.33, we read this. So it says, They came to the town of Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So just imagine this for a little moment. What's it like to interact with a child? What's it like to, to welcome and make space for, for a child? Is it the same as interacting with an adult? Well, you say that might depend on the adult. Um, in general, you have to get down on their level, speak their language, listen carefully to them, enter their world of imagination and wonder and play. It takes humility. It's not always easy, and sometimes it's actually very difficult. But Jesus is telling us something about the importance of humility. Welcoming and making space for a child, that type of experience, is something like what it means to welcome and make space for God and for one another. So, in this scene here in the gospel, more conversation happens. Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler and tells him that God's definition of goodness is not attached to wealth and possessions or personal achievements. Jesus predicts his death again because they didn't get it before. They still don't get it, and his disciples continue to bicker with one another. And then James and John ask Jesus to show them favoritism, and when the other disciples hear about it, they're super annoyed with James and John. So then we read, Jesus called them together. This is in Mark 10. 42, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. They want you to know who's boss. And Jesus says, But not so with you. He says, You're going to be different. He says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. For even the Son of Man which is a term Jesus used about himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's think about this for a second. Jesus says he, became, he came to be a servant. God, the ultimate king of the cosmos, the almighty architect of a very good creation, came in the person of Jesus to be a servant. Humility. And as we know well, in our church tradition, we get to um, reflect on the, the passage on Monday, Thursday, we consider one of Jesus' most significant acts of humility when he washed his disciples' feet. We find that in John 13. Humility. So now, unity. So one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 133. It says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And then later it says, It is as if... 
It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There is something good, right, and true about living in unity with a shared purpose, a shared vision of human flourishing, serving one another, sharing and giving what we have. And we see that this is a picture of eternity, of the way that God's good creation is meant to live and be. So it's not surprising to find that Jesus is explicitly praying to the Father for unity for his followers. And we find that in John 17. Here, just a brief quote from that. It says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So as I took some time to to prepare for this morning and reflect on these things, I really came to notice that humility and unity come hand in hand. As one grows, so does the other. And in Jesus, we see these two qualities. So we know that this is what God is like. And if this is what God is like, then it's how we're supposed to look too because we are created in his image. These themes, humility and unity, are such important ways of relating to each other, first in the church community and then rippling out into the world. And I think that's actually an important distinction to make here. When Paul writes these verses, he's not specifically talking about how we relate with just anybody, with our coworkers or our neighbors or the random people we run into in town. He's specifically writing to the community of Jesus followers, the church. He's saying, friends, we have to get this right in our own family first. This community centered on and held together by Jesus is the place where we do this first. And then together, our interwoven relationships as as a church community, they will become a living, breathing witness of just how good and real this Jesus is and the story of his gospel. And it's helpful to remember this, that Being a Christian, following Jesus, it's not just about a personal religious experience. It's not just about chasing a certain feeling, okay? Have you ever come away from a Sunday service and thought to yourself, like, man, I didn't really get that much out of that today. Well, maybe it's okay to ask yourself some questions around that and and think through and reflect, like, was I really present, you know? And then maybe think later the Holy Spirit will will reveal something to you. But it's not all about that. Following Jesus is not just about chasing that emotional feeling. Is there a personal aspect to our faith? Yeah, yeah, there is. And it's actually very important to consider that question. Have you ever personally responded to Jesus' call to follow him? Maybe there are folks sitting in churches today who have just found themselves swept in the door coincidentally somehow, and they say the words and sing the songs, but maybe can't really remember a time when they had this personal response where they felt like the gospel was truly good news to their heart or sweet sound in their ears. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian has to to have some kind of radical conversion experience story, okay, where one day you were a drug dealer, then you met Jesus, and then the next day you weren't a drug dealer anymore. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. Everyone has a different story. Some have radical experiences and encounters with Christ like that, and others don't. But 
My point is that there is that important personal aspect to our faith in responding to Jesus. But it's so much more than that. It's about how we as individuals and families come together to form a community and a new kind of community at that. It's the creation of a new human family who has been given the grace of new life in Christ. So here's where the plane lands. If this is to be one of the most clear descriptions of how relationships should look in the church, well, how are we supposed to do this? How do we get started with applying this. So think, think to yourself how you might apply this passage of God's word to your life, to your family, and, and then to, to church. And perhaps for some of you, I know I can identify with this sometimes, maybe application questions make you a little nervous because it's like, great, thanks, Mr. Preacher Man. Here's another thing to add to my to-do list. I'm already struggling to get a lot of other things done, so now you're telling me I have to do something else. And, you know, there are... There are times when we might read scripture and feel like we're being challenged by that. I know, for example, in the Psalms, there's a passage where we read that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. And most times I think to myself, well, that's interesting because I'm usually slow to love and abounding in anger. Um, It's okay. It's okay to be challenged by scripture. It's okay to encounter God's word and realize how much you need him to change your heart. And maybe that's why he wants us to spend time with him, reading the Bible, reading his word. He wants us to be aware of the places where we can grow. And then he gives us a community and the power of his spirit to make that growth happen. Slowly and over time, but it does happen. He desires us to be like Jesus, but he doesn't just tell us what to do. Jesus shows us. He gives us his actual example. He lives it out. He goes first. And I think that's the best place to start. Realize that you cannot change without God's grace. We can't do this thing. We can't do unity and humility by our own strength. We've we've got to start there. We need God's grace to change. And then we need to start by getting to know God, become more and more familiar with who he is, with his character, with his love. And with the, the huge story arc that is taking place over the course of the whole Bible in all of the ways that he is faithful to people who are not faithful to him. How he keeps promises while people break theirs time and time again. That is a good story. We serve a good God. So we get started by just getting to know how good he is and how much We need him. And the more that we get to know God, the more we get to know Jesus, the closer that we get to him. And the more that we will begin to open ourselves up to his mercy and all the ways that he wants to give us full and abundant life. So church, we are called to live a life marked by humility and unity. And thankfully, it doesn't all just start with how good we are at it, but it starts with how good Jesus is at it because it's who he is. So we remain close to him. Remember that the Holy Spirit is our companion and then trust that the Lord will use the shared life of his church. And our congregation is part of that. He will use the shared life of the church to send ripple effects into our community, bringing bread for the hungry, living water for the thirsty, and light to the darkness.
It's an amazing thing that God is in the midst of reconciling all things to himself. He's making all things new. And the crazy thing is, the gracious thing is that he calls us broken but beloved children to be part of that redemption story. What a privilege and what a joy. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Christ Jesus and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, as we strive in our own humility and unity this week, as we strive towards that same attitude of Christ Jesus, may we do so with the power of the Spirit flowing within us. I mean, may we do so in our homes like Andrew said, and, and, and in our church families first, so that way we can then have that ripple effect that goes out into the liturgy of our week, into everything that we do, all for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, just as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.